Hello and welcome to the Android Central Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. This week on the show, following up on last week's Apple Epic trial decision, we'll talk a little bit about what this means and potentially how it impacts Google's upcoming uh, trial with Epic. Does not look great for Google. Apple also held its September hardware event, which means new iPhones, new Apple Watch, new iPad mini, and a few things that did not come that we were expecting. Uh, and, and then we'll talk a little bit about One UI 4. The first beta is available based on Android 12 for Samsung Galaxy S21 owners in the US. And uh, we actually have it on one of our phones. So we'll talk a little bit about that. So joining me this week, R. Wagner, how are you? I am good. I am playing with the One UI Beta 4 as we speak. <laughs> oh, so you're not podcasting. You're not paying attention in class. <laughs> good job. Um, Jerry Hildenbrand, what's going hey, on? Hey, how are you? How are you doing? Welcome back. I'm good. And I'm so happy to welcome Lisa Gade of Mobile Tech Review to the show for the first time. How are you? Hey, good, thanks. Also playing good. with One UI Beta on my S21 Ultra when I should be podcasting. You can give oh. us the the lowdown on what you think of it later on because uh, I haven't seen it yet and I don't know how it translates to the bigger display, right, on the on the S21 Ultra. And just to give people a bit of a background, you uh, we asked people a few weeks ago who they want to, to see, to hear on the podcast. And you were by far the person people wanted to hear from the most. Oh, really? How so cool. That's awesome. We were, Thanks, we were super happy to have you. Um, <laughs> and uh, if, if, if people don't know uh, who you are, maybe give us a bit of a rundown of, of what you do. Well, this is Lisa from Mobile Tech Review, as you probably recognize <laughs> if you watch my videos. So primarily, we're, we've been a YouTube channel for, she I don't know, like six years. Started as a website before that, reviewing PDAs originally, and then feature phones, and then smartphones. And then since then, the beat is pretty much phones, laptops, tablets, that sort of thing. And yeah, that's me, and that's Mobile Tech Review. So you've you've garnered a really loyal following over the years. Uh, you're up to almost a million subscribers on YouTube, uh, which is incredible. And it, what's really interesting about your channel is that it runs the gamut. You can kind of get away. You're one of the few tech reviewers that I've seen that can get away with reviewing basically any piece of tech, right? The algorithm doesn't seem to care as long as you're reviewing a piece of technology, which is, I think, quite a testament to the quality of your reviews because most channels are pigeonholed into one or two niches mm -hmm. and uh, the algorithm kind of uh, understands that. So, you know, maybe maybe it's just good luck, but I, I, I don't think so. I think it's the fact that you kind of have proven that you're an expert in all these different categories. Well, I appreciate your saying that. Thank you. Yeah, occasionally the algorithm does get, it, get us. Like, I love robotics and robotic vacuum cleaners. And well, Google wasn't really happy algorithm rise with that, uh, unless it was uh, a Roomba brand, you know, basically right. the, the the Apple of robot vacuum cleaners, you know. But for the most part, yeah, it's it it works. It messes the algorithm up a little bit sometimes, but you know. <laughs> well, we're all we're all uh, at the whim of the algorithm occasionally. Yes. So yeah. even even you, even Lisa, is. Uh, <laughs> falls victim to the the algorithm every once in a while. All right, so let's um let's jump right into to the Epic Apple trial. The results came in 
right after we podcasted last week, um, basically the the TLDR is that of the ten counts uh, of of the ten claims against Apple, uh, Apple won nine of them, and the only one that Epic won was the um, anti steering rule, which the judge basically said was um, was not legal under the California anti-competitive, uh, anti-competition clauses, and that Apple would be forced to essentially provide an off-road within apps, or a- Apple would be forced to allow developers to give an off-road within apps to other payment services. And a lot of the confusion over the last few days, Jerry, has been about, you know, what does that mean? Do they have to provide a button within the app that will allow a user to pay with Stripe or with a non-Apple Pay um, service? Or is it merely a button that will open up a web view or link out to Safari that will then give them the opportunity to go through that alternative payment workflow and not give Apple the 30%. Um, how are you reading this and what's your take on the impact of this? Well, as, as far as the internal link linking in apps, I, I've, I've seen analysis to go both ways there. Uh, the, the one thing that sticks to me is it, it I, I don't know the exact language, but it says it can't take you out of the app. So people saying it's a web link that would open Safari, I, I don't know how that would get, you know, I don't know if that's going to follow the spirit of the ruling. Ultimately, it's up to Apple to decide how they want to implement something like that. And if a court isn't happy with the way it's done, they'll revisit it. Uh, the whole greater thing. I, yeah, it's good that Epic is taking on app stores. There are a lot of bad things that both Google and Apple do. And, you know, if Microsoft had a a better app store with more lock-in, it would do the same thing. It's all companies look out for themselves. I just think Epic could have done it better and put the consumer first. And, you know, maybe in the long run, they are trying to put the consumer first, but the short win for them is just a, a loss for consumers all around. Uh, I don't play Fortnite. I I can't. I'm too slow. <laughs> but a lot of people love that game, and a lot of people have an iPhone. And if you buy a new iPhone, you're not going to be able to put Fortnite on it. You're going to have to keep your old iPhone where you already had Fortnite installed. That's that's not a win for consumers at all. Yeah, and Apple's not reinstating Epic's nope. developer account, um, which is partly because they claim that Epic has not corrected the loophole that allowed them to uh, bypass the in-app payment system in the first place. Epic Epic does not seem to want to right. kowtow to Apple's rules. And as a result, yeah, I mean, fundamentally it comes down to users of players of Fortnite lose out. Epic's other apps are out of the app store as well. And it does not seem like it'll have a long-term impact on the Unreal Engine within the app store, but you know, that's something that they're probably going to have to figure out. I kind of feel that maybe Epic was counting on leveraging the unreal engine and, you know, look, you, you got to give us a little extra because so many of the great games that make your platform so popular use our 
you know, game engine. Totally. And, you know, it would be a shame if something happened to this game engine, Apple. <laughs> and it just didn't play out that way. And, you know, Epic didn't adjust. You know, a- Apple's just as stubborn. They're like, it's our way or the highway. And when you have two companies and two big egos butting heads like that, it's never going to be good. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so. Part of it is also that Epic is being forced to pay Apple a share of the money that it earned within Fortnite between August and October 2020 and then November to today. Yeah. And that's because there are still millions of iPhones with with Fortnite installed. They were not they didn't remove Fortnite from right. iPhones that still had them. Uh it's the same with the with 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 the Play Store. Um, Lisa, are you a Fortnite player? Do you do you know much about the game? Are you interested in ep- in this epic trial? Uh, I am interested in the trial. I do play Fortnite. It's not my favorite thing. I'm more of a, a console PC gamer, really yeah. PC gamer. So I, I like a little bit more beefy game, shall we say? But it's fun once in a while to play it, and I always use it for demos when I'm demoing game prowess of phones, that sort of thing, you know. Yeah, it does feel like it's the default demo. Well, it was before it got <laughs> yanked. But it, this is interesting because Google is actually implementing similar anti-steering rules that the judge yeah. ruled was anti-competitive. Uh, they are going to start forcing developers, which Google claims is a small minority of overall developers, to start <laughs> using Google's in-app purchase workflow for Google Pay. Um, it's unclear whether the trial, the decision here will impact the judge's decision in the upcoming trial, but it's, it feels like there's a parallel there. I should imagine it would set a precedent. Yeah. Yeah. It'll probably set a precedent, but it'll also, won't it also come down to the fact that Apple is total ecosystem lock-in. If you want to get an app on an iPhone, you have to do it through the app store. Whereas on Android, you can install Epic Games Store right now on an mm-hmm. Android. You can install Amazon's App Store on a Android right now. And we have the Samsung, we have Huawei, we have all of these other store. Well, not Huawei anymore, but we have all of these other stores. So you're not a, you're not as locked in as you are on Apple. You're which not, I think, but but I don't think it's going to be enough of a distinction for Google to weasel out of that same requirement. Which is why I'm hoping the Apple Epic settlement will be Google's idea to okay. We don't want to get that same headline, so we're going to just proactively change in order to avoid it. Well, I think one thing Google is doing proactively is making it easier for third-party app stores to be used on Android 12. They're also part of the discovery of the Google Epic case, um, which has not gone to trial yet, so we don't know everything. But part of the discovery was disclosures of deals that Google made with Samsung, with OnePlus, with a bunch of the carriers, uh, preventing them from installing or proactively going after deals with competitors to the Play Store. You know, one such example Mm -hmm. was the OnePlus deal that was going to include the Epic Game Store by um, preloaded on OnePlus phones. Google basically quashed that. Um, Samsung as well has kind of, we know how intertwined Samsung and Google have become over the last year. And part of the thinking was that Google would actually ask Samsung instead of preloading its own 
app store, which we know as the Galaxy Store, it would use a white label version of the Play Store and rebrand it as a Samsung app store so that there would be no real competitor to the Play Store on Samsung phones. Now, that never came to pass, but that was something that was being discussed. Another way that Google had planned on competing, you know, quote, competing with the Epic Game Store was to really try to um, make that experience as unappealing to consumers like you and me as, as possible. And there were emails that showed internally Google admitted the workflow to install a third-party app store and install updates to existing games from a third-party app store was bad. It was just objectively a bad experience for users and that they did not go out of their way to make that experience better. Now, Android 12 obviously does some of that work to make it easier. Um, If you have a third-party app store installed, updates can happen invisibly behind the scenes now, which it couldn't before, as long as you give it permission to do so. But yeah, it's still not a great experience overall. I've got a big problem with a lot of that. Uh, You can make a deal with an OEM and you can have automatic updates for a third-party store since Gingerbread. And we see that if you have Facebook pre-installed on your phone, Facebook gets automatically updated. It's, it, 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 it was possible. Uh, and Google did make it a lot easier to install outside apps starting with android 9 or android 10 i'm not saying it's easy and i'm not saying it's not scary for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing but i i also i think it's very important to realize that both sides frame it to suit their own narrative when they discuss things like this everybody listening probably knows how to install a side you know side load an app on android and you know it's it's not hard. Why are people stressing out? That's crazy. It's not difficult, but it it it's scary. It doesn't give you plain language that this can be safe. You just need to trust the company you're getting, you know the the executable file from. Right. If you recall, back when Epic was pitching the idea of Fortnite on Android, bringing it exclusively to. Uh, Android through the Epic Store before it actually put it on the Play Store. Before it was available, there were a number of malware-filled APKs that pretended Mm -hmm. to be Fortnite. Um, And Google really jumped on that and used that as an example of why it's important for people to download apps from uh, from the official store. But it also gives every file that's installed on your phone, regardless of where it's from, a run through Play Protect and does a lot of this sort of proactive scanning of files that you download behind the scenes to protect users from malware. And I think Google wants to have its cake and eat it too in the sense that it claims that it has dominion over any executable running on Android and that it's protecting people proactively but it also wanted to, you know, make it really unpleasant for people to download and install sideloaded apps to make the case that the Play Store was the best avenue for, for uh, you know, any any 
experience on Android. Well, you know, that makes sense, too, because Apple was kind of marketing heavily about they were more secure, right, as a platform. And for a while, we did see too much Android malware, including some of it even getting through the Play Store. But it's in Google's interest and in the user's interest, too, if they can ensure a level of security and a guaranteed source for safe software, as much as bad apps sometimes find their way onto legitimate stores anyway. So that's probably another thing that Google considers when they just don't want wild, wild west of how many places you can get Fortnite from. Well, However, I would think the Epic store is pretty safe. You know what I mean? But not Joe's AP, APK download site.com. Don't go there, right? Probably. Well, it also comes down to Google Play Protect because Google Play Protect scans every app on your phone, whether you downloaded it from Google or not. Google can yeah. still ensure your safety even if you didn't download the app from them. They can't guarantee your safety. That's the problem. That's true. And, that, and there's yeah. no legal protection for a consumer that doesn't download something that downloads something outside of the Play Store, right? So you're you're sort of Google is saying we're gonna we're gonna do our best. We're the sort of the sheriff, but we can't be in every in in every you know bar in, in the city protecting people from from hurting themselves or whatever terrible analogy you want to use. <laughs> but I do think it's worth thinking about that on the iPhone, there's no alternatives at all. And Epic really was, in this case, pushing for not just anti for the judge to get to, to undo the anti-steering rules. It's They were really pushing for third-party app stores. They were pushing for the ability for a company like Google or Microsoft or Epic to upload AAA games to the app store as part of, you know, Stadia or Xbox Game Pass or, or, or Steam, right? And those prohibitions are likely not going away. In fact, the judge affirmed Apple's rights to oversee and administer its own ecosystem in that very strict way. And if Epic appeals this, it doesn't seem likely that under federal or state anti-competition laws, that's going to change anytime soon. She zeroed in on this anti-steering rule as the only thing that she considered to be part of the, uh, that, that, that she considered to be anti-competitive. Um, now, obviously, this is an injunction that Apple has asked for a stay on. It may not uh, go into effect or Apple may challenge it in some other way by, as Jerry mentioned, like interpreting the rule <laughs> in its own apple way. So we'll see. I, I do think it's interesting that developers are the ones not as big as Epic, but the smaller developers that really don't see a lot of, or see less revenue from the app store as than you know, the big guys, they may benefit the most from this new rule. Probably. I mean, it like, like, you know, you mentioned, and I said, Apple's going to Apple. They're they're going to interpret the rule in whatever way that benefits them the most and try to get away with it. And you can't really blame them. They're in the business to make money. But uh, any any way that a you know a smaller developer can benefit is better than no benefit at all. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I think it's worth pointing out too. That, I mean, it's not surprising, but Apple did not mention this during its event yesterday. It didn't mention 
anything about the App Store at all. It really shied away from show. Obviously, it wasn't WWDC. And Lisa, you're familiar with how Apple, the cadence, right? You yes. see the introduction of the new iOS in June yep. at WWDC, and then they follow up with hardware in September, October. But what's really interesting from yesterday was just the complete lack of software mentions at yep. all, right? It, yeah, it, was it pretty felt weird. Like, very no mention of the iOS 15 re- launch date, release date, as far as I anybody could find. You had to look at the website afterwards, I think. That's weird. <laughs> it was so weird. That, you know, how, how can you do that without at least having Craig show up with his gorgeous hair to tell us it's coming. Air Force One. Yeah, and it didn't. It didn't happen at all. It's like it doesn't exist, and that was strange. Yeah, it was a very weird presentation in general. I mean, it just, you know, some. Well, granted, we don't have Steve Jobs around anymore to make things more dynamic than they were, but it just seemed very short, very smarmy, very like they were bored with the whole. Yeah. thing in a way you know like they knew this was kind of a letdown so let's just make it short and show some beautiful cinematography and drone footage and call it a day bye-bye out the door bye <laughs> put, put a bunch of empty chairs in front of that stadium or venue that everybody recognizes from qualcomm that was that that really got me <laughs> so actually let's dive right into the event and talk about it a little bit so started out with Tim Cook going over as as what he usually what he used to do is go over Apple's philanthropic um, initiatives and environmental initiatives and the the business side of Apple. This time that was kind of glossed over. They went really quickly into Apple TV Plus and gave a preview of all of the content coming later this year. Um, some of which like foundation looks awesome. Um, some of it, I don't know, not so much, but then they dove right into the iPad. And the first thing that they announced was an updated iPad period, like the normal 10.2 inch iPad, same design as, you know, since the, the first generation, Lisa, when you think of Apple's iPad business, um, what do you think of these days? Is it that Two hundred ninety nine or three hundred twenty dollar iPad that you know everybody has, and they you parents put in these diapers and give to their kids, <laughs> or is it the eight hundred dollar iPad Pro with the keyboard that's three hundred dollars and it it's basically just a laptop in all in everything but name? Well, I think it's both, and I think that's one of the intelligent things that Apple's done covering the entire gamut of price ranges, right? Yeah. It used to be Apple only high end stuff problem, but now much more accessible iPads. I think probably they sell the most of the 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 basic standard iPad, especially now that it supports things like Apple Pencil. And then they keep making you want the more expensive stuff if and when you can afford it. But I mean, obviously they have the tablet market sewn up, and I think the tablets are undeniably really good products. You know. Yeah. So this iPad gets an mini. A13. Oh, it's so cute. You know, everybody does that. And finally, we have a revised mini. I, I heard so many people on Twitter yesterday say that the mini of all the products it's stole the, the show. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that. It's a $500 updated iPad mini, 
inch display. Apple calls it edge to edge, but it, it's not. It just has slimmer bezels, no touch ID button. It's on the no power button on the top. What do you think of this? Is this the evolution that the iPad mini needed? I think it's getting a little pricey. One of the appeals of the, the mini was that it was also really affordable. And 500 bucks is, well, it's obviously considerably more than the standard entry-level iPad. But I think it is what a lot of people wanted from it, just to bring in the, the same design language, the Apple Pencil 2 support, so you don't have to keep trying to source original Apple Pencils, like with the older one. The chin was getting pretty old, you know. Touch ID, I'm sure everybody's happy about that in COVID times that we still have Touch ID on it, just moved up top instead. So I would like to see an, an affordable option. I don't know if they're going to keep the old one around. They're probably knowing Apple will. I'd miss that part if they're going to sell that one for you know two ninety nine or something like that. But I, I think the Mini is a probably what a lot of people wanted. And people who already had Minis and wanted to upgrade to something more in terms of design and speed and display quality too, because the, the, the previous minis display was just your average everyday LCD. Not so great. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this one is, it doesn't seem like they're still selling the older one. The only cheap iPad you have now is the, is the new one. 329 yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, which is, uh, I, I agree with you. It's unfortunate for people who just wanted a smaller iPad, didn't want to spend a lot of money. Uh, but this one is basically a, an iPad air, uh, in all but name. It's got the new A15, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It has 5G support. It's got Apple Pencil 2 support. And it has USB-C, which, um, again, moves every iPad but the entry-level model over to USB-C. We have, we have this discussion every time Apple updates a product to USB-C. Why is the iPhone still not uh, iPad or USB-C supported? Every Android phone uses it. Every iPad uses it. Every Mac uses it. It's just, it's a standard, right? And and yet, Jerry, you had a theory on why Apple does not move its phones to to USB-C. And it's not just about the ecosystem, is it? No, it's, it's, well, the broad ecosystem. It's accessory makers. Uh, You don't want to, you don't want to try to sell people a new iPhone that doesn't work with all the things they bought for their last iPhone. And I don't know how you fix that because, you know, if you're ever going to make the move and make your biggest selling product line up more with your other products, you have to just bite the bullet and do it. Well, all they have to do is put a cable in the box, though. It's just the cable that would change, not the charger. Itself well, I mean, things like a dock or... Things mm-hmm. that directly plug in. Do people in. still use those? That seems so, I don't know, 2000s. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially with with uh, this MagSafe standard that Apple's trying to inch towards. I just, I, I can't think of any other reason why they won't do it. The reasons they say, oh, it's a smaller plug, you can put it in either direction. Well, USB-C is the exact same way. Uh, I we, we looked into it yesterday Lightning doesn't deliver more power. It doesn't deliver faster data transfers. There are no technical reasons that Lightning is superior. So the reasons Apple have said in the past of why Lightning is better no longer apply. So it's got to be something outside the box, or they're just stubborn and don't want to do it. It's also size, right? The Lightning connector and 
the, the lightning port are smaller than USB-C. And that it's meaningful with an iPhone, right? Yeah, but a couple millimeters. I can't, I just can't see that 1.5 millimeter difference being the sole reason. Oh my God. And today's phones, I think that that's a huge amount of space. When you're looking at things like sharing with camera, camera stabilizers, adding more battery capacity instead. I mean, this is why the headphone jack went away, simply because it took up a little bit of space, you know? But then they made the phone thicker and they didn't, they didn't make the change capacity. anyway. Yeah. Well, they made it thinner and then they made it thicker when everybody yeah. complained that their phones ran out of battery. Which is so an Apple cycle, honestly. Like the new, when they do a redesign, usually it's thinner and then it gets a little more portly as they find some things yeah. to throw in, like a higher capacity battery or something like that. But yeah, I, I'm betting there's an engineering reason behind this you know be it the size of the connector internally the part that doesn't interface with us because if you look at a lightning and USB-C connector i mean i'm holding my iphone 12 pro next to my z flip 3 they don't look much different from the outside but without taking it apart and looking at it and also electrical interference issues and how much shielding one versus another requires it's probably something like that especially in a covid year where a lot of design didn't happen for a lot of manufacturers across the board. I mean, since I do laptops, not just phones and all these things, we haven't seen as much, you know, progress because in-office collaboration and design was a little slowed down. Yeah. I mean, if this year was going to be the year of, and this is such an S year across the board, but if it was, if there was ever going to justify an S year, it was, it was this one, especially since you'd think about product cycles, last year's iPhone 12, the iPad, the new iPad Pro, all of that development started well before COVID. But I'm guessing most of the products that were announced this year to yesterday were developed mostly from home, you know, with remote collaborative teams. They were dealing with these parts shortages and it's a lot easier to source parts that you already know work well than trying to design and build new ones. So you're right, Lisa. I do think some of that might be you know, just supply constraint or conservatism conservatism within Apple itself. And just it's harder to do things when you can't actually be together in office, sure. when you're designing hardware and software. That's just, a, it's a big change. People get used to it and they figure out ways to do it. But, you know, it was really hard at first. And uh, some of the laptop manufacturers I work with said, honestly, we are pretty much stalled because we don't know how to do CAD designs together and renders, you know, without being physically together yet. And this dovetails nicely into the conversation around the Apple Watch because the there were rumors that there would be a massive redesign with the Apple Watch, new sensors. None of that came true. In fact, the Apple Watch Series 7 is not even it doesn't exist yet it nobody's seen it none of the presenters were wearing them yesterday we don't know when it's coming out so this one does appear like it has been affected very specifically by the part shortage um let's let's talk about this because people were expecting a design that was much flatter looked a little bit more like the apple the, the iphones what ended up happening was a slightly bigger display on both sizes, 41 and 45 millimeters, 
which is, again, similar to what the Galaxy Watch 4 series offers. So Apple, it'll still be a bit more compact because of the way that the screen curves and it's not a circle and stuff. But generally, it's just a bigger bigger canvas overall. Apple's keeping the S6 uh, SoC uh, within the app, the, the Series 7, so there's no silicon advantage this year. There's no new sensors. It's more durable, apparently, because there's dust resistance officially now, and that bigger screen. <laughs> I never but knew really, it like, this is... <laughs> I know, I've been yeah, using that... it for years while doing landscaping and woodworking, and I was like, oh my, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be doing that. Yeah, that gave like me a double take as well, because... Yeah, I mean, nothing ever happened to mine, never got any dust in it, but it, that was kind of like a oh, eye-opener for me, because I actually didn't realize. Yeah. Sorry, Jerry. You were saying I was going to. I, I was agreeing that that I had to do a double take. Do you mean to tell me that older Apple watches weren't dust resistant? Because that that thought never even crossed my mind. Yeah, it never. It was never certified. Um, so we have now a Series Seven, a seri- an SE, which was de- which debuted last year, and then Apple's still selling the Series Three, which is actually a travesty. It's a bad mm-hmm. product. It's been a bad product for like two years. Really don't understand why. But again, it could just be that they stopped production on the Series 4 and 5 and felt like instead of creating a brand new entry-level model, it was just easier to bring to keep the, SC, the, the Series 3 around another year. And also, old-school chips are easier to make. The latest fabs are the hardest, and the hardest in terms of current supply constraints. But the the old-school stuff, I mean, the same reason we're seeing old NVIDIA cards coming back to market. Because that's a no-brainer. They can churn those out a lot quicker, so it may also be that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just that it's only... $80 $80 difference between the Series know, 3 and the SE. I know. Yeah, but people again, buy $80 is a lot of money, so it could just be that. Lisa, you use this, you use an Apple Watch on a regular yes. basis. What's your impression of the Series 7 as an upgrade? It's not much. <laughs> it's I mean, not. I, I, you can talk when I was saying, like, I do landscaping, I do woodworking, and it's been durable enough, and I just have your, your basic aluminum one. And... Uh, I haven't even damaged the screen on my Series 6, which is pretty good. Usually I get some kind of ch- little ding on it or scratch or something. But So the durability, I don't care much about. I do like the faster charging because, you know, with the phone, if it, the battery life is meh, meh, you know, you can drop it on a wireless charger when you're not using it for a moment, plug it in, and it still functions. With a watch, you take it off, it no longer does anything you need it to do, and it takes forever to charge, you know all watches do i imagine a lot of it was thermal constraints for charging so that's nice would it make me spend the big bucks so to speak to get a seven no not really yeah i don't and i I love apple watch i mean it 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 has been to me the best smart watch on the market i think the new galaxy watch 4 and wear os3 when samsung's done with it are really pretty good though and they're starting to get competitive there but even as an Apple Watch addict, I'm kind of like, ah. If it was just me not buying one for review or something, that I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I love the Apple Watch. I don't use an iPhone most of the year, so I don't wear one. Mm. But I like it when I use it. And yeah. I do think it's the best smartwatch, even after wearing the Galaxy Watch 4 for a month. 
Um, Ara, one thing I found really funny was the addition of a full, not full size, but a QWERTY keyboard to the, to the Series 7, which feels like a bit of a Sherlock again after, um, you know, Apple yeah, kind of... Yeah, they, they kicked flip, uh, flick type off of uh, yeah. there a couple of months ago, and then they just did the exact same thing. Like, didn't change anything, just like, this is a straight lift out. So I, yeah, I right. don't get why apple's been apple, doing that for more than 20 years <laughs> like yeah. so no it still doesn't make it right like no no it does not it's not especially right since wasn't flick type one of the keyboards that it was designed for accessibility on phones and when it got kicked out it got kicked out of the watch and the phone and that keyboard was kind of important to them wasn't it or was it another keyboard that got kicked off another couple of months ago too no, it was FlickType. They got they got kicked off. Ostensibly, FlickType was made for, you know, as an accessibility tool. Yeah. Um, and that it just did not. I guess for whatever arbitrary reason, it didn't meet Apple's um, App Store standards because it. I guess it wasn't. It had it needed more permissions in order to do what it does. But yeah, that's how exactly. most access that's how most accessibility tools work. You need more permissions in order to do these extra things that people need. That's why you can enable them for Android apps. It's against I think Apple's rules. Keyboards aren't allowed. Yeah. That's as, as the... a thing for Apple Watch. I you know, not saying that's right, but I think that was the premise there. When it comes to the iPhone, I have no idea. I mean, look how long it took to get a Swift key. I think they kind of just abolished that rule, though, didn't they? Because they just showed a keyboard on an Apple Watch on stage yesterday. Third party. Third party. Oh. No third party. Yeah. Apple has always had a stranglehold on the core user interface experience and, you know, the whole Apple developer guidelines for user interface and stuff like that. So that's been their excuse. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or anything like that, but it, typically that's, that is the way they roll. But, yeah, they're, keyboards are not allowed on the Apple Watch from third parties. Apple hasn't maintained, this is neither here nor there, but Apple hasn't maintained its APIs for third-party keyboards on the iPhone well anyway. So mm. it's really just discouraged that ecosystem from flourishing. Um, they're still buggy. They don't, they don't work well with the regular Apple keyboard when you have to transition to a, to a password entry, for instance. Mm. It's just, it's just bad overall. And, and I, I think Apple just knows this and doesn't care. So it doesn't surprise me that FlickType had to leave and then a month later, <laughs> Apple debuts its own QWERTY keyboard. But yeah, Apple Apple did it. They copied uh, the the FlickType oh, uh, UX. Put I, it in not you too. Apple you started developing this keyboard long before FlickType started developing their own. Let's, what do you let's mean? Stop. FlickType's been in the been in the App Store for years, and and Apple has been working on whatever they showed off yesterday for years. Mm. Apple but, didn't mm. just take something and copy it. Mm. It doesn't but the matter. The similarity not, of the user interface is just a bit much. I wouldn't doubt that they've been working on a keyboard for years, but the the <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much a carbon copy. You know that that's the where I think folks take issue. Apple's not stealing any ideas from any developers, is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> but neither Jerry, is Google. But they have a history is, of doing just that on macOS for the past 20 years. I mean, there's also the the the, the fact that FlickType is an Apple Watch keyboard for any Apple Watch. 
This is a Series 7 exclusive feature, which means that by Apple removing FlickType, it's removing a QWERTY keyboard, an accessible keyboard, from millions of people's wrists that may need them. Oh, and that's scummy. That's that's terrible business. But I just don't like hearing people when they when they say that Apple copied it. Well, because it looks exactly identical. It's yeah, just a coincidence. If they did their own keyboard and there were some differences, that's cool. But oh my god, it, it is exactly the UI. Of- There's only so much variation you can have in a keyboard that small. But at the same time, yeah. it's. Jerry, parallel development doesn't mean that Apple still didn't copy the ideas or copy the methodologies. And I think that that's what happened here. I think Apple was working on it for a long time and then FlickType came along, did it better. And Apple was like, "Okay, that's obviously an implementation of that works. We're going to try and do the same thing. The reason the software APIs exist that allowed the person to develop FlickType is because Apple put them there so they could use them. That's all I'm saying is this is something Apple's been working on and Google the same way when they steal, quote unquote, an idea. It's because they've had these ideas and they work on them and their ship is too big to steer quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the guy who developed FlickType, he did a damn good job from what I see and and hear people talk about it. And, you know, I hope he made some money and more power to him for suing Apple for you know, their breach of whatever he thinks the way Apple breached his contract. I just don't like hearing people say things like, oh, well, Apple stole this idea. No, then if if so, they all stole the idea of a software keyboard from LG with the chocolate. Jerry, you're ta- you, you, you know that you're, that you're digging yourself into a semantic hole here yeah. because obviously features get developed in parallel. But the arbit- seemingly arbitrary decision to remove FlickType 30 days before the Apple event that debuted its own QWERTY keyboard on, on the Apple Watch feels much more like an, a pernicious calculated move rather than something that they just, the App Store review team just happened to do coincidentally 30 days before the Series 7, right? Like, this is Apple. That has nothing to do with them stealing the idea, though. Okay, they, they fa- did that as a enough. shitty, shitty business move. That's what. We're not yes, saying right. they stole the idea. We're saying we they stole the implementation. And let's not forget when Google would do this, they would buy the team that developed that. Yes. Fe- they bought yeah. Timely in order to improve the Google key, uh, the Google Clock app, things like that. Google will buy those companies in order to bring that talent in. Apple will just kick them out of the App Store and do it themselves. Right. It's it's marketing, and you know somebody in marketing at Apple has to know that the way you do this. Even if, say, you didn't copy some of the implementation, but it's a better look, doesn't cost you much money, just buy the other company. They feel great. They got their money, you know, and everybody's happy and it doesn't look bad. And Microsoft does that. Google does that. But Apple just very rarely ever does something like that. And, and imagine I can, what the I developer. I go back more than 20 years in the history of Apple and tell you about utilities for the Mac operating system that were pop, super popular for like 30 years, three years, excuse me. And then Apple decides to make their own instead and kind of, you know, you can't, there was no app store at the time for the Mac, but they kind of just totally destroy them. They should have just bought that company and said, hey, look, now we're integrating it because it was such great stuff. And we know that 40% of our users bought this utility, but no, 
they just don't do that. And it's a bad look for a company who seems to, you know, half the time really care about how they look in terms of earthy, crunchy, yeah. friendly, nice people. And then the other time they're just like, they do things like this. It's just not the way to do business and have people like you. Well, beyond the PR even, imagine the experience and knowing what people need out of a keyboard. That developer, if if Apple had bought that app and bought and hired him to work on the Apple keyboard, that could have maybe improved the entire typing experience on all of Apple's products, not just the watch. Yep. And it could have improved the accessibility of the Apple keyboard. And that would have been a huge thing that Apple could have touted. And instead, they just kicked him off, did the watch keyboard themselves, and gave a basically a middle finger to anybody who needed an accessible keyboard. That's not okay. Yeah. And I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I, I think we're, we're, we're all on the same page just coming at it from different directions. I want to I switch the conversation over to the iPhones, which were at once the most important and least important products that Apple announced at the event, which feels weird to say, but this, of all the S years, this felt like the Sest of years. Um, let's just go through them. iPhone 13 and 13 mini, they get upgraded cameras. They get a slightly different design, but really it's just the camera modules are now diagonal instead of, instead of parallel. Um, same sizes, 5.4 and 6.1 inches. They're still aluminum. There's new colors. Apple has improved the camera system overall. So the, um, the, the camera sensor is slightly bigger, the main sensor. There's um, a wider aperture as well. And they included the stabilization system, the, um, what's it called? The sensor shift stabilization, OAS. That was in the iPhone Pros last year, is now in the, the regular iPhones. They included a bigger battery, which I think is going to be the most important addition because especially for mini iPhone mini owners, that was the reason to sell their phone. Um, I I used an iPhone 12 mini for a while. Didn't last me most of the afternoon. And I was working at home with access to Wi-Fi 98% of the time. So I can only imagine what people were going through when they used it like a regular phone outside <laughs> the world. Um, same prices, $729 and $829, $30 off if you get it through a carrier. Did I miss anything? It's, oh, they start at 128 gigs now instead of 64, which is which is nice. But uh, that's basically it. Did they change whatever they needed to change so motorcycles don't screw the cameras up? No, God no. Which was funny because <laughs> they showed footage of yeah. one on the, the guy's way. It was a moped, I guess technically. But I was thinking, are we not supposed to do that anymore? <laughs> that was so funny. That like delivery that support support article came out like three days ago. Yeah. Um, the screen's a little brighter, but same resolution. And it has the A15. So they really what's really interesting about the A15 is not what they said about it, but what they didn't say. Every single year they tout improvements over the previous generation, right? This year, the only numbers that they gave, which were still there was no y-axis in any of these charts mm. because Apple. But this time, it was all about how much faster it is than the competition. And by the competition, they obviously are talking about Qualcomm. So it's 50% faster on the CPU side versus the competition, 30% faster on the GPU side. And that's all we learn, right? And that's not very Apple-y. 
So it does appear like the A15 is a very iterative update over the A14. Um, Lisa, do you have any insight here? Any, anything you thought about when you saw that uh, Apple calls it the bento box screen, where it's, which shows all of the highlights of, of mm-hmm. the upgrade? Um, well, when it comes to the CPU, I would say, obviously, it isn't a big leap forward, right? But uh, do they have a big leap forward every processor generation? Typically not. They have a lot of hyperbole. And again, in a time when chip manufacturing is constrained, especially any new process, we're not going to see a drop in nanometer size and stuff like that. I wasn't totally surprised. And the thing is so stupid fast already that probably wasn't what people needed. But, you know, it's speeds yeah. and feeds for technology. So you just expect that there's always going to be some bragging about that sort of thing. But you know, when it comes to the CPU, I'm not surprised. I'm not sure I care that much, but at the same time, it's not a great look because you always like to see, oh, look, we're so much faster than we were last year. You know? But yep. it's like they're trying not to sell us a phone this year in a way, well, <laughs> which could actually be the case if they know that they're going to be supply constrained. This is not the year to create a disaster like NVIDIA had with GPUs either and AMD with CPUs. Mm-hmm. One thing that Apple never tells anybody, and it's the the the... The Bionic platform is amazing. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer that right around the A12, that's good enough. Now you work on the efficiency because that's not the bottleneck anymore. Apple doesn't explain that, yes, uh, there's 4,000 horsepower in your iPhone, but we've got a governor in this chain that limits it to only 10 of those horsepower actually do anything. Uh, that That's where Apple needs to work. They don't need to speed up the processor the, the, how fast it can compute they need to work on making it more efficient and then find the other bottlenecks in the system if you want the device to f- actually you know quantifiably be faster it's not the cpu you need to change anymore yeah th- i guess that's fair and what's interesting is we don't know whether this is considerably more efficient but we do know that Apple increased the battery capacity in both of its models here. Yeah. So we're expecting better battery anyway, well, whether it comes from an efficient, a more efficient chip or not. But on stage even, Apple only said you were going to get an extra, what, hour, hour, hour. and a half? Yeah, on, yeah you were only going to get an extra hour and on Two and a half the, hours for the Pro Max. Yeah, that, that's still not enough to get it to all-day battery life unless you baby the phone. So... They improved battery. They just didn't do it, like even by their own admission, they didn't do it enough for it for uh, for it to last all day. The most ridiculous part of that promo on the moped wasn't the oh he's going all day every day on an iPhone and the cameras aren't wrecked. It was he got to the end of a shift that he was navigating mm. through the city in all kinds of weather all day, and he had thirty six percent battery left. I come from a Nexus Four. I envy having any battery <laughs> left. <laughs> you're, you're you're dating yourself there, Jim. That iPhone 12 mini, I wish I had that good battery life on my phone. Just to be very clear, you don't use a Nexus 4 as your primary no, phone any, right now. not anymore because it's just another, or I meant Pixel 4, of course. Oh, Next, Pixel 4. Now it makes more sense. <laughs> now okay. that, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. slightly more sense, but not really. <laughs> no, the Pixel 4, like many Pixels before it, is broken in a drawer out of warranty. Thanks, Google. <laughs> God. You don't have much luck with phones, do you, Jerry? No, I don't. All right, let's talk about the pros. So improved camera experience, again, like 
Apple really touts its cameras as its big upgrades every year. Slightly bigger uh, sensor on the main um, f1.5 aperture. There's sensor shift on both models this year, um, and the the actual camera sensors, the telephoto optical optical um, zoom is identical between the Pro and Pro Max, which wasn't the case last year. So really the Pro and Pro Max, the only difference is the screen size, the screen resolution, and the battery. Everything else is identical, Um, which is great because I didn't want to have to use a Pro Max in order to get the best camera from from Apple. Um, Same pricing, $999 and $1099. There's this new cinematic mode that Apple spent a lot of time talking about I don't know about you, but I was not that impressed with it. It seemed like the rolling shutter was extremely artificial. It didn't, even with a professional setup, it didn't always feel super smooth. And I'm worried that, I'm not worried, but I'm like concerned that this is something Apple's really going to tout in its marketing. And it's just going to be another deep fusion where nobody really uses it or can tell that it's there. I don't know, Lisa, are you somebody who uses all these fancy new features on, on the Apple, on the iPhone side? Well, I think the two neat things are the ProRes support and also the, the pulling, the racking focus or pulling focus feature, which really is about the speed of the CPU, isn't it? Fun. Yeah. You got to wonder, why are we putting such fast CPUs and phones? Because what are we doing with them? Well, it's for things like this. And it is very cinematic and very pleasing. I mean, this is why portrait mode is popular in still photography, right? to have that racking of focus. So your subject is in focus. You've got that nice focus bokeh going on with the background and all that sort of thing. I think people are probably going to have a blast with that because it's going to be pretty much automatic also, which is the way Apple cameras work, right? So you don't have to be geeky and go into 40 settings and move sliders and all that kind of thing. You just end up with this kind of slick looking video. I think it'll probably be pretty popular. Talk about why something like a rolling shutter is so computationally expensive because Apple is not the first company to to in- integrate portrait video as it was called on LG and Samsung phones even I think HTC had something like this before it died like why is Apple's I- incorporation of this feature so computationally expensive <laughs> well there is it just is I mean <laughs> I mean it, it seems kind of obvious on one level that discerning who the subject or what the subject is of a video as in their demo video when the the guy turns around and looks at what was it a dog a cat i don't even remember anymore Mm -hmm. figuring out it's easy for our human brains but for a computer it's it's a considerable amount of work to decide what should be the center of focus what humans intend how humans think is basically what it's replicating right there so call it ai yeah I suppose AI is not cheap still. And isn't it also for video, doesn't it store the focus data so that way you can change it after yeah, the fact a little bit? Which is so really that in, cool. I was going to say that would require up. a massive amount more processing just to encode all of that into whatever format they're using for it, right? That's what I was going for. Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, that it, it's to do with we think of a picture as what we can see. A good part of the data collected when you point a camera at something is more than just visible light. 
uh, depth depth information is is a lot of it. Uh, edge detection is a lot of it. That's that's all there. It it actually uses less processing power to store all of that. It would just be a huge file size. What uses the processing power is determining which parts of it to enhance, where to collect your right. edge detection, right. and where to discard it. Uh, when you start doing that on the fly, being able to move from one point to another, yeah, that's that's definitely got to use a lot of processing power and probably a lot of AI. So you were correct, I think, Lisa, when that's where the new CPU comes into play. Right. It's just like in the early days of autofocus features um, on phones, well, even on you know standalone cameras at first, processing power being what it was, you would see you'd make fun of it. Okay, come on, focus. Yeah. You know, you move it and the, the subject moves a little bit. And we all used to do those focus tests with our hand, right? Wave our hand in front of the camera and see how quickly it focuses on whatever is actually beyond your hand again. So this is just the next computational challenge that's even more complicated. And for, from a technical standpoint, what Apple showed us with the camera, I thought was absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know how popular it will be. That's consumers are fickle. But just from a pure technology point of view, that was a first. Just to be clear, I asked it mainly because for Samsung's implementation right now, which is, as Lisa said, like buried in a menu, it's not really well advertised. Most people won't even know it's there. Um, you, you, it requires a face. And this was a, yes. a, a, a problem that Apple had on the iPhone 11 when it integrated portrait mode without telephoto. So with, when Apple debuted portrait mo- photos on the iPhone 7 Pro or Plus, part of it was that um, it could only detect faces and eventually it was able to expand beyond. But it used the telephoto lens for, for depth data and it didn't have the same density of data on the iPhone 11 because it didn't have that telephoto. It only had the ultra-wide and the first generation of it could only detect faces. It couldn't do animals or anything else. Now that's not the case anymore. And Apple skipped that step. It's not just focusing on faces with the cinematic mode. But on Samsung phones, you require a face in the shot for it to blur out the background. And part of it is just the machine learning models are trained using faces, right? It's much right. easier yeah. to differentiate a face versus a, a random object in your background, whereas Apple does right. seem like it is able to differentiate it. They actually use the example, if somebody's face turns away from the camera, it will then follow their gaze and focus on the thing that they're looking at, which if that works properly and seamlessly is insanely difficult to do. Yes, that that's no longer a machine learning model. That's That's real artificial intelligence that hasn't been trained by taking a million billion pictures of cats. It's Siri with her little like arms yeah. moving your camera uh, sensor by herself in in the phone. That's why it's so expensive. Um, any any final thoughts on the iPhone 13? I'm not sure uh, the 5G changes are that important, but the the US version will be the only one with millimeter wave. The unlocked U.S. version, according to PC Mag, is the best version because it's got all of the bands. There is now a Russia-only version, 
which I'm guessing forces Apple to uh, include some of its apps that the, that this recent law that was passed uh, requires it to do. Other than that, yeah, it doesn't seem like there are many changes. Gotten a little heavier. Boy. Yeah, it's a little heavier. <laughs> That's about it. That whole stainless steel thing. Yes, it's pretty. Yes, it's durable. But God, the phones were so heavy. Oh, <laughs> we didn't phones. mention ProMotion. This is the big thing that I right. forgot that we needed to talk about. So the the Pro models support 120 hertz for the first time. Uh, Google, Apple, sorry, Apple says that it goes from 10 hertz dynamic up to 120, which uses LTPO, same as the Galaxy S21 Ultra and all the other Samsung phones that support this. It's not just two. It's not just two. Um, uh, refresh rates at 60 and 120 like the early implementations this is truly dynamic um if the ipad pro is anything to show like any any, a similar experience this will be very very well implemented across ios but this is not something new for android users so i'm just excited that ios will finally have high refresh rate support on on the phones yeah it it'll be interesting to see i'm still of the opinion that Frame rate is not the be-all, end-all of the mobile phone experience, but God, it'll be nice to at least have the option. What What is the be-all and end-all? For me, battery and straight performance. I want a phone that'll last all day and will actually do what I need it to do in a reasonable amount of time. Then you I should do not want to be tethered. <laughs> so you want a BlackBerry, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, you want a BlackBerry Curve 8100, is what you're right. selling me. Except it you won't be able to much, play my music worth a damn. <laughs> Um, yeah, Lisa, does, does 120 Hertz, does, does promotion, does that interest you? Would that be a vector for you to upgrade from a previous phone? You know, it's funny thing, but in Android, it makes a big difference. Like when the Z Flip 3 went to 120 Hertz, that meant a lot to me because boy, it felt sluggish scrolling that long, narrow screen up and down and just watching the jello, you know, but with iOS, the, the way the operating system manages things, it, I never got that same sense of, you know, when I use an iPhone, I never like, Oh God, this is icky. I want 120 Hertz. I'm so used to it now. So I think just like with the iPads, it's interesting. If you look at it, like forums, about 50% of the people say they can't even tell the difference. So for some people, aficionados and people who are looking at specific sorts of content or artists, I mean, I am one and I use the Apple Pencil. So there, it, it's nice, certainly for that. But on the phones, I mean, I think it's just keeping up with the Joneses. I don't think it's going to rock people's worlds other than now iPhone people don't get to listen to Android people snickering about their 60 hertz. No, they just, we, we let and, them know that we got 240 hertz on Android. <laughs> uh, yeah. and also i think apple probably did wait until variable refresh displays were really pretty top notch because you know apple yeah. they don't do anything until it's stable yeah sure they could make a folding phone tomorrow for us but if the screen has a tendency to crack in the crease or the screen even has a crease that's not an apple problem right so they just wait till it's really mature and they figure this is the point it's not going to kill your battery life anymore because the variable refresh is working and doing its job correctly that sort of thing it's also something you said apple designed their interface to be solid at 30 hertz or 60 hertz and not make you feel like you wanted something faster yeah it feels pretty painted on and responsive right honestly so i don't think it's going to change my life with an iphone certainly 
But mm -hmm. I think marketing wise is important. Yeah. All right. So let's take a quick break and we will talk about One UI 4 and then end up with uh, just a couple of smaller news pieces. This episode of the Android Central Podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh. Fall is busy, but HelloFresh recipes save time. You'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping, and chopping, so you can get back to what matters. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals and calorie-smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy, with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutrition experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I've had a ton of fun playing with all of the HelloFresh recipes I get. I even tried something called pumpkin cinnamon rolls. They were delicious. And because Thanksgiving comes around early in Canada, I think it was very, very on point. If you want to try HelloFresh yourself, I recommend you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash ACP14 and use the code ACP14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash ACP14 for 14 free meals and free shipping. Thank you so much to HelloFresh for supporting the show. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. All right. So, Ara, Lisa, you're both using One UI 4. This actually came out of the blue, it felt like, because we weren't expecting it until October, or at least later on in September. Samsung gets, we, the, Samsung, this is like the, the inside baseball. Samsung gave us a couple of hours of notice, said later tonight, we're going to make an announcement, which would be morning Korea time, that. One UI 4.0 will be available in the US and, and a couple other markets, including Korea. It'll be only for the Galaxy S21 series. You sign up through the Samsung Members app, but there are no like lim there, there's no limit to the number of spots this time. Previously, it was difficult to get in. You had to kind of be first um, or among the first. So this year, it seems like it's gone off pretty smoothly. It's based on Android 12. It does incorporate a couple of things that Google made a big deal about, including updated widgets and some design tweaks and privacy improvements. Lisa, what have your first impressions been on One UI 4 with the Galaxy S21 Ultra? Well, I just put it on at 10 o'clock last night. <laughs> okay, so you're, so, still, you're still a new I'm, yeah, for it. But, but I would so say far, I, it, it feels snappier, which I didn't expect. Like, really snappier. It was pretty darn nice uh, beyond that it, everything seems to work pretty well which is neat samsung health broke and there was an update which i believe the characters were it was chinese not korean characters but still Oops. it showed up in my in english after i installed <laughs> the update from the galaxy store for health and now that works too but so far mostly i'm just noticing snappier but again 10 o'clock last night. Give me more time to say more. <laughs> and I was really surprised too that Samsung did this kind of like, wow, out of the blue. Say what? <laughs> you know? That's so crazy. We talked about it. I'm using it too. Uh, and so is Alex, who isn't here with us today. Alex and I both have reset our phones and it's still just horrible. It's trash. <laughs> really? Yep. Oh, so I weird. get random things closing. I get pop-up errors. 
I, I actually get a pop-up that has no text in it. It's just a white box. Oh, don't you love when that happens? Yeah. Oh. And, and, and uh, it doesn't work with, if you use Google Fi, do not install this update. If you do, every time you unlock your phone, it'll try to force you to download an eSIM, even if you have the SIM card in the phone. It's just, I, I'm looking for a way to roll it back. So I can yeah, continue I think they to said use that Sprint phone. and Timo was a go. No AT and T or anybody else. Um, Sprint. Right? T- uh, it was the Sprint, T Mobile, and unlocked versions. The AT and T locked version and the Verizon locked version were not available. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I'm on AT and T, but I have the unlocked phone. Yeah, and I have me running a Timo SIM in it, so it was kind of like I guess everything was a go for it working properly. Yeah. I feel like I'm the happy medium between the two of you. Like I've had, I've been trying to, I spent most of yesterday just trying to break this phone to make sure it wasn't, mine wasn't as buggy as what I heard from Alex and Jerry and mine isn't. But at the same time, you have to, you have to open every single app in order to turn notifications back on for them, which is something I don't think a lot of people said. Or noticed until it was like, okay, why have I not gotten any notifications from Slack all day? Oh, I have to re-enable notifications for everything per app. Cool. But um, the things <laughs> that I've been breaking from... Because I'm like, yo, funny how I haven't gotten any <laughs> notifications. What a quiet day. Now I that includes your, your messages app, too. Yes, that Goodness. includes the Samsung apps. You have to do it for each and every app individually. And that's going to be one of the things I put like, okay, here's your checklist of things to do if you do beta four. The first thing after you install the up, uh, install the beta, go to your app drawer and open every single app one by one. Just get it all out of the way. Now, for me, uh, the phone app and Samsung messages did not need to have permissions. And that is working. But YouTube, um, Google Finance, all that stuff, you know, I have to open it up to allow. Yeah. Even Gmail, which was... Great, because, you know, it's only, you know, a lifeline for work. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that's been the major annoyance for me, other than they hyped a lot of, like, theming and new UI stuff. I'm not really seeing much Material U in the settings app. When it comes to the Material U theming on the home screen, the widgets are all fine. But if you want to customize, like, you can't do the new app icons, you can't do... System theming is semi-broken in One UI 4 because if you used Theme Park, which is the app for custom theming your Samsung phone, that's a Samsung Labs thing. If you had Theme Park installed, things are just kind of wonky. Like every time I try to every time I try to even just get the apps back to uh the app colors back to normal, it crashed like three times getting there. And I eventually had to make a new system theme. Yes, this is the first beta and it is supposed to be buggy. Yeah. I'm not super worried about that, especially given how buggy the Android 12 betas have been. Yeah. But um, there is one bug that was kind of annoying that happened two or three times yesterday, which was the uh, nav bar stopped working. The screen was still responsive. I could still interact with the app and I could still pull down the notification panel, but the navigation just stopped working. So I had to open the na- navigation panel, go to settings, go to the nav bar, and swap it back to a different one of the different styles, and then swap it back to gesture navigation, which is huh. not great. Interesting. 
I hadn't heard that one from anybody else, so I just figured I'd call it out because that was weird. So big picture, though, this likely means Samsung is better prepared to roll out a final version earlier on. It did say that it would roll out One UI 4 to Samsung Galaxy S21 owners later this year, which is good. I mean, they did roll out One UI 3 last year before the end of 2020, but it does seem like that may happen earlier. Um, We're hearing an October 4th rumor date for Android 12 proper for Pixel phones, and then a late October release for the Pixel 6. We actually got a major Pixel 6 leak this uh, yesterday, only a couple of hours after the Apple event concluded. Michelle Rahman of XDA wrote up a big uh, piece about um, how he learned from somebody who actually has the Pixel 6 that um, you know he got he got to confirm a bunch of things, including the 50 megapixel sensor, including the fact that um, it will have uh, ultra wideband in in the phone and uh, a couple of other neat features. So you know we're we're talking about Samsung and it rolling out. One UI 4 to its flagships, but really, like Android 12 will be available on the Pixel 6 likely before it will be available. I mean, it'll be on the older Pixels, but like the flagship experience that Google wants people to have will likely be on the Pixel 6 before it comes to Samsung's phones, which I think is quite interesting. I mean, isn't that how it's been for years? Yeah. Like Samsung takes a couple of months and gets it right. They don't they don't take the first one uh they don't take the first build and just run with it immediately cuz they know that okay, even though this is stable, there's probably some bugs in here that didn't quite get fixed. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm talking about the fact that this is the Pixel 6. This is not the Pixel 4 or the Pixel 3 or the Pixel 5. This is the biggest hardware release that Google's ever had coupled with one of the biggest software changes in Android's history, right, from a design perspective. So I'm just saying it's a significant release this year, especially with the relatively underwhelming iPhone cycle, plus the fact that there's no note. So I don't know, it just it feels momentous in some way, more than it does in in in, in more than it has in previous years. Maybe I'm just hyped for the Pixel 6 in general. But that does seem to me a little bit uh, why it feels significant. I mean, I don't disagree with you that Google could actually clean up this year if they actually managed to grab people's attention with the Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro, especially if they can get the pricing for the small Pixel 6 semi-competitive. We know the 6 Pro is going to be an outrageous number, probably. So long as the Pixel 6 starts under $1,000, I will be happy. Yeah, I'd imagine it will. I think it'll be well below 1000 So one of the specs that um, Michelle Raman corroborated was the sensors in the Pixel 6 Pro. Both phones will have the same uh, Samsung GN1, which is a pretty popular 50 megapixel sensor that's found in a lot of phones. The secondary wide-angle sensor will be a... Th- IMX 12 megapixel IMX 386, which is old, but it's a very well liked sensor. Google's had a lot of experience with an older version of that one, this the the this, uh, 383, um, and the the second the tertiary camera, the one that's 
for the telephoto will be the 48 megapixel IMX586, which was basically the de facto flagship sensor in every Android phone in 2019 and 2018. So it's been around, I mean, all of these sensors have been around the block. And I think that's no coincidence, right, Jerry? We know that Samsung or Google at least wants to incorporate sensors into its newest phones. It doesn't need to be the latest and greatest, but it has. there has to be a lot of data to right. back up how these sensors work. Right. Google, Google needs to have been using these to train their, you know, AI algorithms to work correctly. So it's important for them to stay one generation behind at least. As yeah. crazy as that sounds, it's just how it works. It'll be it'll it'll make for better yep. photography. A uh, couple other little be- bits and pieces: 128 gigs of storage, likely standard. Uh, 5,000 milliamp hour battery for the Pixel Six Pro, and uh, this is the big one. At least five years of software updates, given the kernel version. Now I don't know how you can make the leap from. The kernel version will be supported until 2026. Therefore, the Pixel 6 will be supported until 2026. But it does jibe with the fact that Google's rumored to be supporting this line for five years. Um, and I, I think everybody wants it to be true. Yeah. So I mean, now that Samsung's doing four, right? Yeah, three software updates and four, four years of security patches. Yeah, there's no way Google's going to let Samsung outdo them when it comes to updates. Totally. One other rumor might be worth talking about, Jerry, is there have been some Geekbench uploads, and there have been a bunch of fakes, but there are a couple that are that look like they might be real. And, and one of them actually says that there are two Cortex-X1 cores, mm-hmm. two Cortex-A78 cores, and four Cortex-A55 cores, which would mean it would be significantly more powerful than the Exynos um, 90, was it 2100, 9100? 9100, I, I think. 9100, yeah. that's in the Galaxy S21 series. At least it would have an extra X1 core. How likely is that? Uh, but right now, I, my gut call is 50-50. I've looked at both the people who say this is legit and people who say it's not legit, and they both have a very strong argument but more importantly, it this you know right now, I don't really care about Geekbench scores other than nor should you. Know, you yeah, it, it's a way to confirm a thing exists. There, Google's not sitting benchmarking phones that are you know under full load and and fully optimized and ramped up to run all out. They're just making sure things work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, it shouldn't matter, but it would be interesting if Google is is at least like beefing up the test the tensor. I would believe the two X one core rumor because again, that gives Google longer to have worked out how they want their SOC to be arranged. Yeah, you know, rather than go with a, a more powerful X two, a significantly more powerful X two, using two X ones probably get you about the same level of performance and you've had an extra year to work on your development. Right. Uh, Lisa, any final thoughts on the Pixel 6? Uh, not so much. Looking forward to it. Looking forward wait, to wait the photography most particularly. I love the design of it. Yeah. 
and I'm glad that they're moving a little more towards the high end again. You like the Cylon backplate? I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do too. It's, I'm, I've come around to it. The design is okay. I just wish to God we'd gotten better colorways for the 6. The 6 Pro, we get gold, silver, and black, which is going to match the iPhone 13 Pro Max. Um, but for the regular Pixel 6, we got this weird, like, salmon orange <laughs> color. We have we have what I am going to just call lemon-lime, because that's what it looks like. It looks like either yellow and green or green in a very, very weird teal. And then we have black. Like, really, Google? I love the You're lemon emphasizing lime. colors so much this year, and that's what you came up with? I love the lemon lime. I'm so bummed that it's not going to be available on the 6 Pro. <laughs> it is like, that's my dream colorway, honestly. It's just, I, I don't understand why they didn't put it on both. <sighs> I like I like weird colors, so I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with the colorways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like something different, you know? So It is, yeah, especially since I don't want to use this with a case. Um, I might have to, but I, I don't want to have to. I used all three Nexus 6P colors uh, with that weird oblong camera thing on the back. Go for black. Trust me. Are you talking about the 6X yeah, no or the black. 5X? No, no the, the Nexus 6P. No, the 6P. 6P. The Huawei one with the big, long camera bump. Yeah. Oh, Cylon. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, that's where the Cylon design originally came from when it comes to pic- uh, Pixel and Nexus phones. Right, right. The, the, the ones that weren't black just look weird with that mm. big tinted window back there. Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, I am excited about this. I'm excited that we're going to have a very prolonged hardware release season this year. So there's a lot more to come. Uh, we're going to end the show there. If uh, people want to find more about you, Lisa, where can they do that? They can go to youtube.com forward slash mobile tech review or Twitter. Lisa Gade on Twitter. Lisa Gay, G-A-D-E on Twitter. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's been a pleasure having you. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back again. When, uh, Sounds good. It was fun. When, when there are new, new products to talk about. Uh, if you want to find more about Jerry, you can do that on Twitter at GB Hill. Ara is at Ara Wagco. I am at Journey Dan. You can find all of us at Android Central on Twitter and on the website. And uh, if you have any feedback for us, send it to podcast at androidcentral.com. We would love to hear from you. That's our show. We will be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Adios.